0: Sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day. Nissan has been committed to the EV game since 1947. Their EVs have traveled 8 billion miles. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. From the North Pole to the Formula E track to your co-worker's garage, put the electric at EV with the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. Visit NissanUSA.com to learn more. Nissan, EVs that electrify.
1: That 32nd piece of music you have just heard has a title. It's called The End, a Lennon-McCartney song, and it is simply gorgeous. But spoiler alert, what you just heard was performed not by the Beatles, but by Stroll Down Penny Lane. And that is just what you are in for, a stroll down Penny Lane. And this is Joe Anastasi of the Pantheon Podcast Network your narrator for our exploration back through time. In fact, covering some 65 years of music where we celebrate the life and music of Paul McCartney. So let us begin, but not with the end. We can save that song for investigation later for another day. Let's begin our story today with this song fragment. Perhaps you recognize it. For the story about this song, we begin some 400 years ago. For this was the year in which an Englishman wrote a poem for his little daughter. The title of the poem was the Cradle Song. You may recognize it in this form. Once there was a way To get back homeward Once there was a way get back home. Sleep pretty darling, do not cry. If you think you know this song and the lyrics to this song, you may be surprised to find out that these lyrics, or a semblance of these lyrics, were first written some 420 years ago. Surprised? Trust me on the truth of my statement as I present the proof of my case. And to do this, flash back in time with me. Let's go back to the 20th century in a kind of thought experiment. Imagine for a moment we have our own little time machine. And using this time machine, we have arrived back in the last century. In the 20th century, to be specific. And now, imagine a boy sitting in a classroom with 30 other students. He is at his school desk. His teacher is standing in front of the class, reading from the textbook that she holds in her hand. And she is reading a poem from this textbook aloud to the class. But the boy, he is not following her at all. He is on a different page because as he had been flicking the pages to get to the page where she was reading from, something arrested his attention. So he had stopped on this different page. The textbook in front of him was saying that an Englishman wrote the poem on this page. And in the boy's head, he heard the words that he was reading so intently.
0: Sleep. Pretty wontons, do not cry, and I will sing a lullaby. Rock them, rock them, lullaby.
1: But as he sat there, in his mind, he heard not those words. He heard these words. Sleep pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby. And so he sat there stunned not hearing his teacher because as he was silently reading these words on this page he knew them already but here is the thing he checked the date one more time this textbook was saying this poem was written in the year 1599 a.d almost 400 years earlier but now In the 20th century, the 16 year old in this classroom knew better, and as he read, he had a different knowledge of exactly where these words came from. They came from the Abbey Road album, the second side of the Abbey Road album to be exact, and the song that they belonged to was Golden Slumbers, and that is why he knew these words Once There Was Away. Now, To be clear, that is me singing Joe Anastasi and not Paul McCartney. Okay, we've got that little bit cleared up. And at this juncture, our story now turns to, of all things, the subject of thievery. We've got to go further back in our time machine to do some detective work about this subject of theft. And I'm talking about the larceny kind of theft. Why? Because it involves this song... Gold in slumbers. For this poem in this textbook that starts out with that line, "Once there was a way," is first referred to in a diary, and the diary entry is dated December fifteen ninety nine A.D. The diary belonged to an Englishman who was named Thomas Decker. Now, pause for a second to digest the next thing I'm going to say. This poem was included in a famous play that this Mr. Thomas Decker had written. The play was about a patient named Griselda. And here is the thing. Thomas Decker's story had been lifted, or should I say, had been taken, from a tale that was told earlier by Chaucer in Chaucer's famous Canterbury Tales. So that's how we get to the theft part, the grand larceny theft part. But this is not the beginning of this story, because we should not be too judgmental about this little bit of wholesale lifting by Mr. Thomas Decker of Mr. Jeffrey Chaucer's story, because, get this, it turns out that Chaucer, too, had lifted this story from someone else. Chaucer had pinched this story from another author who had lived in Renaissance Tuscany and who was named Giovanni Boccaccio. Now, Giovanni Boccaccio's book, the one that Chaucer so patently pocketed from, is named The Decameron, and it is also known as The Human Comedy. And so I will digress here, if you will allow me, because this book The Decameron has something in common with the COVID-19 crisis causing us to shelter in place this year at the time of the writing, or recording, I should say, of this piece. Now, how in the world can I connect these two things, separated in time by 650 years? For Giovanni Boccaccio died in the year 1375 A.D., Stay with me, and I will explain, and I will connect these two things separated in time by 650 years. Giovanni Boccaccio's book, The Decameron, is a compilation of 100 tales, and each tale is told in turn by a group of seven young women and three young men. This group of young people, 650 years ago, is the connection to today's COVID-19 crisis, which has afflicted our world so greatly at the time of the recording of this piece. And the connection is this. In Giovanni Boccaccio's book, The Decameron, these young people were sheltering in place in a secluded villa just outside Florence. The question for us now is, why was it that they were doing this? And the answer is, They were sheltering in place in order to escape the Black Death, which was afflicting the city of Florence. And as they sheltered in place, one member of the party was to tell a story each night. Okay, so there is the connection. These young people that were sheltering in place over 650 years ago. Now, let's go back to the grand theft larceny part of this little story, and to the connection to Paul McCartney's song, Golden Slumbers. And to do this, let's dig in a little to see what our Mr. Chaucer was up to. Chaucer began writing his Canterbury Tales about 12 years after Giovanni Boccaccio died, and Chaucer finished his collection of 24 stories in the year 1400 A.D., So just like with our Mr. Thomas Decker, who lifted his story from Mr. Jeffrey Chaucer, we also should not be too critical of our Mr. Jeffrey Chaucer, who lifted his story from Giovanni Boccaccio. Why? Because Giovanni Boccaccio's conduct bears some examination as well. Because in a neat little plot twist, even Giovanni Boccaccio hadn't hesitated to lift his stories from others. How do we know this? We know this because some of the stories in Boccaccio's The Decameron can be traced to tales that had been told centuries earlier in such far off lands as India, the Middle East, Spain, and other places. But hold on a moment. What's this got to do with the music of Paul McCartney? Well, we're not finished with the larceny part of this story. There will be two more, count them, two more wholesale lifts of this poem again. And these occur before we arrive in the year 1969, which is when the Beatles released their Abbey Road album. And so we can see already, however, that it is a fact that in the creative arts, With storytelling representing one example and the creation of songs representing another example, the lifting of ideas and the repackaging of them is a phenomenon that repeats in history. It has occurred for a thousand years and more. Once there was a way to
0: get back homeward.
1: So to get to the very next time we see the wholesale lifting of the words in this poem about golden slumbers, We need to travel forward in time. Recall that we were just in the year 1400 AD. So let's zoom forward in time, almost 400 years. And this time we pause our little time machine in the year 1885, which is just over 100 years ago. For if you were to go to the Stanford University Library, you could check out a songbook that was compiled for piano in the year 1885. And to do this, you would ask the librarian to retrieve the piano songbook called St. Nicholas's Songs. We are getting warmer now as we move closer to the connection to Paul McCartney and the Abbey Road album because the selection of songs in this songbook that we have retrieved from 1885 had been especially collected for children. And I can demonstrate that it dates all the way back to the year 1885, for that is the copyright date that you will find on the second page of this songbook. Now, why am I telling you this? Remember, I told you this story was about grand theft larceny. And to prove up this further allegation, Our first step is to go to the table of contents in this music book, where you will find a song that is titled, Golden Slumbers Kiss Your Eyes. Now for the second step in our proof. Do you recall that golden slumbers were the very first two words in the cradle song? that poem that was written by Thomas Decker in the year 1599, the one that was included in a play that Decker had lifted from a story by Chaucer, who had lifted his story in turn from Boccaccio, who had in turn lifted it from others? Well, this table of contents entry in this music book from 1885 represents the very next taking of the Thomas Decker poem that was written in 1599. For in or about the year 1885, one W.J. Henderson poached Thomas Decker's poem of 1599 and composed the song, and he used this very same poem for his lyrics, and our Mr. W.J. Henderson called this new song that he had composed, Golden Slumbers, Kiss Your Eyes. So now we arrive at the third step in our proof. So imagine this in your mind's eye. We have this songbook on the table in front of us. Let's turn to page 177 of this songbook, and here we arrive at the connection to Paul McCartney. But we need to push a button on our time machine to take us to the year 1968. Paul McCartney in 1968 happened to be visiting at his father's house in Heswall on the Whirl, which is an estuary of the River Mercy. So fairy, cross mercy, this land's the place I love And here I stay.
0: Hey, Joe! That's not even a Paul McCartney song. And it's not even from 1968. It's from 1965.
1: But I like that song. It's all about Liverpool and the River Mercy. And to our listeners, the other voice you just heard was my producer, Mike Sugar. And he was on the Talk Back Mike. He likes to be called Sugar, but we can refer to him as Talk Back Mike. (laughs) All right. Where was I before I was so rudely interrupted? Uh, you were singing. Right, I was. So fairy cross the mercy. Okay, it is 1968 now in my story, and Paul McCartney is visiting at his father's house just outside Liverpool on the River Mercy. So let's set the scene. This is how Paul describes what happened that day. I was playing the piano in Liverpool in my dad's house, and my stepsister Ruth's piano book was up on the stand. And as Paul sat there at the piano, he flipped through the piano book, and he stopped when he got to page 177. And as he looked at the sheet music there, he read the lyrics to the song, and the lyrics on the page interested him. But Paul could not read the sheet music notation. The notes that were printed on the music staff on the page really didn't mean anything to him. But Paul liked the words that he could see were written there, and so he sang his own version of the first line to the song. Once there was a way. And Paul played an A minor chord on the piano as he sang this first line. And Paul knew that the A minor chord that he just played would resolve itself naturally if he played this next chord, a D minor chord. Stated another way, Paul instinctively knew that the A minor chord that he had just played on the piano would want to go next, in turn, to the D minor chord. Now, here you might ask me, How can a chord want to go to another chord? Yeah! Let me explain it this way. The human brain is wired by nature and by evolution to expect, or want might be a better word, to have a sound that your brain has just heard through your ears maybe, to have this sound naturally resolve itself in turn to the next or closest harmonious sound. This is the physical underpinning of music and harmony and with this, Paul knew that if he followed his instincts, that natural progression of sound would lead him to resolve, in turn, on the next chord, a G seventh chord. Which would then lead Paul to resolve to the next chord, a C chord. And with this chord structure or progression of chords, one chord leading to another, the verse to this new song that he was composing on the spot there and in that moment in time would be complete. And Paul describes this as having happened just like this: I came to Golden Slumbers. He explained, I can't read music and I couldn't remember the old tune, so I just started playing my own tune to it. And then Paul added this: I liked the words. So I kept them and fitted them in. So was this grand theft larceny, or was it just another example of what has happened in the creative arts for maybe a thousand years? We'll leave that as a rhetorical question, because it doesn't need to be answered. But here is an interesting question. How was it, you might ask, that Paul knew that the one chord he played on the piano, followed by the next and then followed by the next, and then the next would be so pleasing to the human ear. Ah, so how is it that Paul would know this? That is the mystery that we will next solve. And to do this, let's go back in time again using our time machine. this time to the year 1962. and 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 what we will be exploring here is the mystery of Paul McCartney and the Beatles, for that matter, knowing how to use what is known as the circle of fifths in constructing the most pleasing form of a song. And as an example of this, we won't use just yet the song Twist and Shout, But we will return to Golden Slumbers, because it is a perfect example of Paul using what is referred to as the circle of fifths in constructing this song, though perhaps we should put a pin in this song, Twist and Shout. Why? Because we will return to it briefly to explain golden slumbers, of all things, and Paul's use of the circle of fifths. So hold on. Here we go. Let me first explain what Paul McCartney instinctively knew to do in constructing this song. The tonic chord, the one chord of any song, represents the stable, peaceful, musical sense of home for the song. By this I mean that the one chord, like this here, can give a sense of coming home within a verse of a song, or even when it appears in the song's chorus. But how does this coming home feeling work? Well, our brains recognize this implicitly as a scientific fact. It is how we are permanently wired. Our brains can even experience an endorphin release when a song settles back to the sense of musical home. In any song, we have arrived home and we feel safe when the song or lyrics arrive back home at the one chord. Now, for the dark side of this notion because the opposite of this is also true we are not safely home when we are not safely nestled within the embrace of the one court where we perhaps have been left in some other discordant place the dark side duke and an astute songwriter can deliberately build tension Knowing that our brains subconsciously register this tension because this tension is making us uncomfortable and because of this, our brains want this tension to be released. For the moment, we'll call our songwriter who is consciously building tension like this, our savvy songwriter. And after building this tension in the song, our savvy songwriter can decide when to release this built-up tension, and will do this by bringing us safely home to the one chord of the song. And in doing this, bringing us to the light side of the force, Luke. Songwriters cause us to feel tension in a song by using not the one chord, but a different chord called a dominant chord. This dominant chord is built not on the first note of the scale of the song's key, but rather it is constructed using the fifth degree of the scale of the key that the song is in. Stated another way, the root or foundation of the dominant five chord is a note simply five degrees higher than the root of the one chord. Why is this important? It is important because it is the foundation of everything I will next explain because this will describe how Paul knew exactly what to do in constructing his song, Golden Slumbers. Okay, the dominant 5 chord. It's not so complicated. I will explain. Remember music class in elementary school? Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do. In any major scale, the 5th degree of that scale is Sol. So likewise, in a chord, if we start with the root note, and we call that Do, as in Do, Re, Mi, then the tone five degrees higher than this first root note is Sol. And that is the fifth that we are talking about when we say the five chord, and when we refer to the circle of fifths. So here we go. Do, one, re, two, mi, three, three, four soul, five. So soul is the fifth degree of the scale, and a major chord built with this fifth degree as its root is what we call the five chord. But in our mind's eye, in our brain, this five chord is an unstable chord. And in our mind's eye, we always want this five chord to resolve itself and go back to the root chord, to the one chord. And in our mind's eye, when this first chord, the five chord, resolves to the second chord, the one chord, our brains are satisfied, for they tell us that we have arrived safely home. But for these savvy songwriters, their weapon of choice, their lightsaber, if you will, can be this very same five chord. And Paul knew this, and this is how it works in the songwriter's mind. This five chord is likened to an unstable, unruly beast. Whenever we hear this unstable, unruly beast, the five chord, in a song that we are listening to, our brains have a sense of satisfaction when this chord is resolved or stated another way, is changed and soon to the one chord. And why is it that our brains feel this way when we arrive safely home at this one chord? It is because our brains are familiar with this sense of home. It is a familiar place. We've heard things resolve in exactly this way so many times in our lives. Our brains also feel this way because they receive a little espresso shot of dopamine when this happens. Our brains then, or we can just say we, may actually crave this. We like little shots of dopamine. It makes us feel good. And songwriters are well aware of this. And they take advantage of our wanting this. And this is why and how they build tension in a song. And when they decide to release this tension by moving from this five chord to the one chord, they know we will find it pleasing because we can't help it. It is how we are wired. Our little brains will receive a shot of dopamine Every time they do it. Here is the perfect example to illustrate this. And now the Beatles knew to do this. And the song is Twist and Shout. shout. Everything you hear in this next little excerpt of this song is the five chord. And it is being constructed one note at a time as John and Paul and George lay it out for us in their vocals until they finally release the tension they have built in one fell swoop on the words. So listen for this release of tension, which will happen at the exact moment when we get to these two words again, baby now. And experience for yourself the coming shot of dopamine that your brain is expecting to receive. And how this tension is masterfully being built as the musicians are just holding on this five chord seemingly forever before they decide to release us from this tension by landing on the one chord. That is the five chord you just heard. Actually, that is more than just the five chord. It is the five chord being repeated over and over and over again, six times, creating tension, 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 building tension, then releasing it simply by immediately moving to the one chord just here with so now we know that the brain receives a shot of dopamine every time it discerns the fact that this tension is being created with the use of the five chord. And then when this tension is being released, when we finally land on the one chord, this is when our brains recognize subconsciously, ooh, we're home now. We're, we're safe. And the Beatles, savvy songwriters that they were, exploited this physical wiring of our brains. But how did they know to do this? Let's explore the answer to this question because it's interesting. It involves the notion of feedback. And I'm not talking here about feedback from an amplifier. I'm talking about the notion of real-time feedback that is being received from other humans. And it's interesting because it explains how the Beatles were able to learn so quickly and to grow as songwriters. We'll be right back after this short break. So stay with us. We're back now with the Pantheon Podcast Network, and this is Joe Anastasi of Stroll Down Penny Lane, your narrator for our exploration of the life and music of Paul McCartney. So, here again is the question... How was it that John and Paul knew, for a fact, that their audience would react in exactly this way to the building up of tension with the V chord and to the subconscious release of the tension as the song resolves back home to the one chord? Well, the answer to this is that John and Paul could observe with their own eyes that this was physically happening. What do I mean by this? I mean that as they stood on stage facing their audience, no matter how big or small the theater, John and Paul could physically see what specific element in any particular song was working for them. How could they see this? They could see this because the audience would reflect it. The audience would reflect this in their screams. And with their jumping for joy when the songs the Beatles were performing possessed these hooks, and specifically when the tension in the five chord was built up by the Beatles and then was released with an explosion of joy by going to the one chord. The janitors in the theater could see the effect of this, too. After one of the Beatles' early shows in England, one theater janitor famously deadpanned...
0: Mm, there wasn't a dry seat in the house.
1: Okay, I said I was going to set the table. And so there you have it. I set the table. In Paul's song, Golden Slumbers, there is a section where Paul made use of what is known as the circle of fifths and when he does this, it is pleasing to our brains. Remember we explored the five chord earlier? That's the chord the Beatles use so effectively to build tension in their arrangement of twist and shout. The Beatles teased us with this V chord prolonging it measure after measure. And in the Beatles' arrangement of Twist and Shout, they added an additional note to the five chord, making it even more jangly and unstable, making it what is called the dominant seventh chord. So in my little joke here about the dark side, what I am referring to is the deliberate creation of this tension by these savvy songwriters who know how to take advantage of this. To make us feel uneasy first, and then make us feel good, and to make us like their song. So there you go, Luke. The dark side is powerful. And when we return to our analysis of Paul McCartney's golden slumbers, we can see the unmistakable evidence of Paul's use of what is called the circle of fifths, which is all about exploiting the use of this unstable 5 chord. Here, in the song Golden Slumbers, Paul deftly creates multiple releases of built-up tension by moving from a particular chord and treating this chord as if it were a five chord, and then releasing the tension that exists within the chord by moving next to its related one chord, and with this, giving our brains a dopamine release, and then repeating the formula as if it were an algorithm. And Paul did this by treating each chord he landed on as if it were a one chord, the distinctive chord that our brain is always telling us is a safe place to be. But then Paul pulled a trick on our brains, and he did this by way of his next movement to the very next chord, which sends a signal to our brain, an instant realization that this so-called one chord was not a one chord at all. (laughs) And the way our brains get tricked by what Paul did is because what the brain thought it heard as a one chord turned out to really be something else, a five chord. And with this little sleight of hand, Paul performs this trick again and again and again, giving our brains several shots of dopamine. And he does this by going around what is called in music theory the circle of fifths exploiting the fact that for every chord, once we land on it, we can reimagine it to be a five chord and then use this reimagining to find our way next to its related one chord. And we receive an instant release of dopamine to our brain. And here it is in Paul's construction of his song, Golden Slumbers. So how to illustrate this so that you, the listener, can hear the underlying mechanism that is at play here? Let's break it down. We'll do it this way. Let's treat first with the E chord that this measure is built on. And let's treat this E chord as if it were a V chord, which our brains would like to see get resolved to a I chord. That is, to the chord that is based on a root note five notes lower on the scale than this E note. So to do this, starting with E, E, let's move five tones. And we end up with an A note. This is what we want. So with this, we would have wanting to go to this. And there we have it. We landed on an A minor chord. Now, let's repeat this as if it were an algorithm. And to do this again, instead of treating this new chord, the A minor, as a one chord, let's now treat this new A minor chord as if it were a five chord, which our brains again would like to see get resolved, to a chord based on a root note five notes lower on the scale which would be a chord with a d as its root. A
0: G F E
1: D. So with this, we would have Darling, do not cry. And there we have it. We landed on a d minor chord. Now, here I just get a little concerned that maybe you aren't feeling this dopamine release. Maybe you're just not buying this tension and relief mumbo jumbo. And my concern here is that perhaps Just perhaps these three chord changes were too subtle for you. Or maybe it's the fact that what we are exploring here with this example of the circle of fifths happens to be a lullaby. And perhaps the effect of the lullaby is just lulling you. Perhaps it's too calming of a song for you to sense this feeling of dopamine release. So I came up with the following idea to illustrate what is really happening here. And the beauty of this example is that it is using the same three chords and in the same order of presentation. And so let's illustrate the very same three chord changes, but in another song Paul created on the second side of the Abbey Road album. And in this song, the feeling of dopamine release is unmistakable. And I'll demonstrate how Paul weaponized these same three chords, unveiling them one by one in the very same order, treating each chord as a dominant five chord. And Paul's choice is found here in the song, She Came In Through the Bathroom Window. This little excerpt demonstrates Paul's deft use of the circle of fifths and how each of the three chords he uses, first an E chord, then an A chord, and then third, the D chord, building tension with each, and then how he dramatically releases the tension as each successive chord is unveiled. Let's repeat this little song excerpt because you can even count or walk down the five degrees of the scale. And by walking down in five steps from the first chord, we can see that even though it was the one chord, Paul had transformed this chord simply by the way he was treating it in relation to the next chord that he moves to. And in doing this, he magically transformed what was a one chord to in effect serve as a dominant five chord. And with this, he builds tension. And when the resolution occurs with a movement to the one chord, This resolution is releasing the tension that our brains had sensed was being built up. Because all the while, in the background, our brains patiently wait for this release of tension to happen. 5, E, 4, D, 3, C sharp, 2, B, 1, A. Okay, that makes sense. We can actually hear that the E chord is the V chord because it walks down step-by-step, step five degrees, until it lands on the new one chord, the A chord. But what about the next chord that I mentioned, the D chord, where I said he did this trick again using the circle of fifths? I have two confessions to make here. The first confession is this, that when I was a kid and I was listening to the second side of the Abbey Road album, Every time I heard this opening section of this song, she came in through the bathroom window, a chill would race down my spine. It was a physical chill that was being triggered by this song. I never knew what caused it, but it happened every time and at the very same place in this song. Now I understood why this was happening to me. My brain was sending a pulse of energy down my spine as I received an endorphin release. And this would occur just after I would hear the tension being built up with this dominant 5 chord, and then Paul's release of this tension when he moved on finally to the next chord, a 1 chord. Hey, hold on a moment. Mike Sugar, that sounded like your cello there. I thought it was supposed to be the sound of a lightsaber.
0: Yeah, um, my lightsaber is recharging. I had to improvise.
1: Your lightsaber is recharging? Well then, here's something you might find useful. Which rechargeable battery is the best? Let's find out. So why buy disposable batteries when you can buy rechargeable batteries and then recharge them hundreds of times? If you're going to buy a rechargeable battery, which brand is the best? Today, we will be testing 10 different brands of nickel hydride batteries to find out which one is truly the best. Also,
0: rabbit hole Joe... You're going down the rabbit hole again.
1: Okay, where was I? You said you had two confessions. Right, two confessions. So here is the second confession. When my bandmates and I, from our show, Stroll Down Penny Lane, first recorded our arrangement of this song, I realized that a second thing was happening. And this second thing was perhaps a little more finely drawn, but having a second equally important reinforcing effect. And for me, the realization of this was an epiphany. And the epiphany was my discovery that the harmony vocals that began cutting in by my bandmates just as we started the song proper were also building tension, and that these harmony vocals were then releasing this tension as these vocals gently dumped us into the next chord in the circle of fifths. And in effect, this was our second movement around the circle of fifths. I'm And as these harmony vocals were unfolding for me, they were causing a further dopamine release, a further thrill in my brain. And this was happening as Paul led us into the very next bar of the song. Our brains tell us we finally landed on a safe one chord, and we are entitled to think this for a grand total of exactly four seconds. Why four seconds? Because then Paul pulls the rug out from under us, and he does this with his next move, which tells our brains, Yo, baby, you were wrong! Ha ha! because our brains have now figured out subconsciously that Paul has transmogrified this so-called safe landing to be not on a safe one chord that we thought it was on but on to a dominant five chord stated another way the thing was a hermaphrodite it has two sexes and Paul exploits both aspects of this thing the question is how can this be The magic transformation Paul used was this. Our brains had first told us that we were safely home, which we now know is the effect of a one chord, but then in the very next measure of the song, our brains then correct themselves, and they say a collective, "Uh "Aha! No! That can't be! You tricked us! (laughs) Because now we sense there is tension here. This is when I observed that the harmony vocals of my bandmates were again winding us up with this tension on that A chord and then releasing our tension when the vocals then moved us to the D chord, where we were home again as this became the new one chord in this progression. And this is when I observed that this must have been the fortifying mechanism in this song, because it was giving me a reinforcing shot of Dopamine. I'll let you hear what it is that I discovered when I listened to what we had recorded on the harmony vocals. And when you put it all together, you get this. Okay, that was the song, She Came In Through the Bathroom Window. And with this song, it is simply inescapable what Paul was doing with his use of the dominant five chord. He was toying with our brain's expectations and then giving us a hefty dose of dopamine as he deftly moved us around the circle of fifths, going from an E chord, then to its one chord, the A chord, then to its one chord, the D chord. So now I think it may be just a little bit easier to digest the fact that Paul was doing exactly the same thing in a lullaby song, Golden Slumbers. The difference is that in the song Golden Slumbers, the effect of what he is doing is much more subtle and the lyrics are more calming. But here the effect on our brains is similar. And in this way specifically, it is pleasing to us as we hear the progression of the chord changes he has selected, because he is moving gracefully around the circle of fifths, and our brains are programmed to like it. Paul begins with an E chord, then moves to an A chord, then moves to the next chord in the circle, a D chord, just like in Bathroom Window. But here, now in golden slumbers, he continues us on to the next chord that is next up in this circle, the G chord. Then finally, he settles on the C chord, which is the root, the tonic of the whole song. And with this ultimate landing, we feel safe and fulfilled. Our brains feel this, and here is how it works. Wanting to go to this. And there we have it. We landed on an A minor chord. And Paul repeats this formula. He next goes to a chord based on a root note, five notes lower on the scale. And there we landed on a D minor chord. Then he treats this new D minor chord as if it were a five chord, which our brains again want resolved, to a chord with a G as its root. So with this, we would have... And there we have it. We landed on a G7th chord. Now our brains are primed to have this chord resolve itself to a chord based on a root note, five notes lower on the scale, which would be a chord with a C as its root. So with this, we would have... And now we are safely home. We have arrived at the one chord of the song itself, something that our brains somehow instinctively anticipated. And now we feel safe. Our brain somehow knows we are home. And we've used the circle of fifths to arrive safely back home. But there is something else that is interesting about Paul's construction of this section of this song. Paul's songwriting has long been observed to have a special unity of construction. What do we mean by this? Here we are talking about the craft of songwriting. And the example here is that oftentimes in the song itself, while Paul's lyrics are telling us the story of the song, at the same time, his lyrics also are describing what is physically and sonically happening in that very moment in the melody or structure of the song. Here is one example. Sometimes with his lyrics, he is actually telling us that, in the music itself, we are coming home to the one chord. His song, The Long and Winding Road, is a perfect example of this. We'll explore this song, The Long and Winding Road, in an upcoming podcast. So be on the lookout for this. But for the moment, we can explore the perfect example of Paul telling us we are coming home in both the lyrics and in the song structure of golden slumbers. Every one of the chords in this chord progression are pointing us homeward, just as the lyrics tell us. And when we finally arrive home with a one chord in this lullaby, the child in us is safe again. Once there was a way to get back home work. Once there was a way to get back home sleep pretty darling and do not cry and I will sing a lullaby Oh And by the way, that 16-year-old that was sitting in English class, remember? Well, that 16-year-old was me. But how did we get here from a 16-year-old teenager sitting in his high school English class where he sat there wondering about a poem written in the year 1599 A.D.? A poem from the Renaissance period that had been included in a play that was based on a story that had been lifted from Chaucer, which had been pocketed in turn from a story written by Giovanni Boccaccio about a bunch of people sheltering in place in Tuscany in the 1300s, because of the Black Plague that had devastated Florence. And then, to where we are sitting today, at this writing, sheltering in place from the COVID-19 crisis. And then, to a piano book, first compiled in the year 1885, resting on the music stand, on the piano, in Paul McCartney's father's house. What do we have from all of this? We have something now to be thankful for. For we have Paul's song Today, this song, Golden Slumbers, because Paul McCartney could neither read nor write music. Let's now explore this song, written by Paul McCartney, which was included in the Beatles' album, Revolver. At the first stage in the writing of this song, Eleanor Rigby, Paul still hadn't discovered who the protagonist was going to be. Paul didn't even have a name for the main character in this song. He had the melody, and with this, the number of beats or syllables, but this is all he had, and so he improvised. And when he sang the tune to himself, this is the name he was using as a placeholder. Ola Natungi. Ola Natungi, blowing his mind in the dark with a pipe full of clay. No one can say. This little story comes to us from the pop singer Donovan. Remember him? Oh, I'm just mad about saffron. A saffron's mad about me. Oh, just mad about San Fran. She's just mad about me They call me mellow yellow They uh, call me mellow yellow
0: They call me
1: mellow
0: yellow Hey Joe, that's not a Paul McCartney song
1: You are correct but I like that song. It was Donovan's big hit. By the way, dear listener, I don't need to remind you that this latest unmannerly interruption has come courtesy of my producer, Mike Sugar, the fearless, on the back mic. All right, where was I before I was so rudely interrupted? You were singing again. Right. They call me Mellow Yellow. Hey, hey, Mike, I bet you didn't know this. What is it? Paul McCartney was one of the background revelers you can hear on this song, Mellow Yellow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Also, let me tell you a little about this spice saffron. Saffron, saffron, saffron. The flowers of the saffron crocus are picked by hand in the early morning before sunrise, when the petals of the crocus flowers are closed. Later, the flowers are opened by hand and the three thread-like stigmas are removed and dried. And it takes roughly 4,000 flowers to make one ounce of saffron powder to use in your kitchen. Okay, another dot to connect. Interesting, right? But I digress. I went down the rabbit hole once again and my fearless producer, Mike Sugar, pulled me out again. All right, let's go back to where I was in my story about Eleanor Rigby before I was so callously interrupted. Where was I? Oh, right, I was saying that it was the pop singer Donovan who recalled that Paul had visited with him one day and that Paul had played for him the opening chords on the piano as he sung this little song for him about Others have observed that Paul would fiddle some more with the lyrics. They recall that he came up with this. Here, with the beginning of this song, Paul was stuck. And he was stuck here at this point like forever. He has said that it was finally on a holiday as he walked down a main street in Bristol, England, that he saw a sign for a wine and spirit shop, Rigby and Evans LTD, wine and spirit shippers. And Paul thought to himself, Rigby! Two syllables, that'll do nicely for the last name. So with this, he now had... D. Rigby. Then he said that he thought the first name Eleanor would fit pretty well because it had the necessary three syllables. And Eleanor was the first name of the actress, Eleanor Braun, who was cast in A Hard Day's Night, the Beatles' first movie. So now Paul had his protagonist, Eleanor Rigby, and in his mind's eye, she was a spinster. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream. Now, this is Paul's explanation. There is a counter-narrative. And here, we've simply run out of time. So follow along with us in our next podcast, Episode 2, to find out the rest of the story about this song, Eleanor Rigby, The Counter Narrative. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast of Stroll Down Penny Lane. Please join us again next time as we explore further the life and music of Paul McCartney. And if you're in the neighborhood, Come see us at one of our shows. You'll find us at www.strolldownpennylane.com. 92% right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you try Peloton bikes, tread or row risk-free with a 30 day home trial. New members only not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepelotoncom home dash trial. At the home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done, right? That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops, during the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches, as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.
0: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football